God, our Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that having heard you speak to us in it, we would now wrestle with it faithfully. Help us to see who Jesus is and respond to him with faith and obedience. And we pray in his name. Amen. Until this week, I don't think I ever fully understood the magnitude, the significance of this miracle of Jesus. I'll tell you why. I learned something new this week. As I was preparing to speak on this passage, I was really struck by the fact that the man says, no one in history has ever heard someone opening the eyes of the blind. And I thought, okay, that was 2,000 years ago. What about since then? And so I looked up modern examples of people being cured of blindness. Do you know what I found? The most striking thing I found out is this, that even when modern medicine has been able to restore the function of someone's eyes, well, that doesn't mean that they necessarily can see and live like a healthy person. Why? Because doctors have found out this, For the person who's born blind or who's blinded for many decades, even when their eyes are able to see again, their sight is restored a little bit, or even in rare cases, a lot, even if the person can now perceive light, the patient has incredible difficulty coping with their new sight. Because their brain doesn't know how to interpret the signals that are coming into their eyes. They can perceive light, but they cannot process what it means. So they experience severe confusion. They don't know what objects are what. They can't judge distances or perspective. They can't recognize people's faces or explain emotional expressions. Sometimes they can't even tell between male and female. And it takes them a long time to acclimatize to their new sight. And some never do. I read about a man who preferred to do his work with his eyes closed because it was easier that way than having to use his new sight. And that can lead to despair and depression, can't it? That kind of thing. And for some it does. And as awful and as sad as that is, doesn't that make what Jesus does here all the more incredible and amazing? That he would not just restore the physical sight of a man, but that he would restore the man's brain to be able to understand, to perceive everything that he can see fully and in an instant. This man had only ever known darkness and blindness. He has no hope of seeing. He doesn't even know what it will be like. Jesus heals him. He can see and he can perceive and understand and decipher every little thing that he sees. I hope you begin to see just how good a story this is. Let's get into it and explore it further. How's my mic, guys? We'll just take a second and see if we can make it a bit better. Let's remember the story so far. So for the last few chapters, Jesus has been in Jerusalem at the Feast of Tabernacles. And as Jesus has been walking through the streets of Jerusalem, he's just been, he's just run away from the temple. Remember last week, they tried to kill him again. So he walks the streets of Jerusalem and he passes by a blind man. 
And already you, you start to feel like something significant is about to happen, don't you? You, can, you can't help but expect the unexpected. Because this man is not just blind. John wants us to know that it's clear as day, this man is blind from birth. He has never known a time where he could see. He has always lived in darkness, never seen the sun, the beauty of color. He's never seen a loved one's face. He has no hope because his sight was never there in the first place. This man has lived a life as a beggar, poor and desperate. And so the disciples take note of him straight away. And they ask Jesus this question. Look at verse 2. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see what they're asking? They're asking Jesus, what's the relationship between sin and suffering? Are they linked? Is this man blind for a reason? Is it his fault or is it someone else's fault? For the Jews of that day, many believed that sin and suffering were intrinsically linked. That if you did something wrong, you would suffer in some physical way. So this man is blind. He must have done something seriously wrong to deserve this punishment. But he's been blind from birth. So how can it be his fault? That's their question. How did he sin? When? They haven't got many options left, so maybe he sinned in the womb. That seems like a strange thing. Or maybe it was his parents who sinned and then he was punished for their sin. So that's their question. That's what they're trying to figure out. What is Jesus' answer? Well, let's have a look. Verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Jesus surprises the disciples and says, Your assumption is wrong. You think that there is a link, a direct connection between sin and suffering, but not here. Sometimes God's word says that there is a direct link between someone's sin and the suffering that they face. But Jesus showed us that in general, we should see things as not having a direct link. Unless God reveals a specific direct link, we don't know why we suffer. And I'm guessing that an angel of the Lord has not appeared to you recently and said, this is why you're going through what you're going through. Instead, the New Testament says... It reminds us that there are many reasons why we might suffer, but that our suffering is meant to turn us back to God, turn us to Him in trust and prayer and obedience. It's meant to turn us to Him, not away from Him. And we could spend a whole sermon on that topic of sin and suffering, and maybe we will next time we have our Can I Really Ask That series down the track. But for now, what is Jesus' explanation of this man and his suffering? Verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. Jesus is saying, forget about trying to draw the link. That's not what's going on here. Instead, this man was born blind. Why? So that in this moment, now... God's works might be displayed in him. God's power, God's strength, his compassion might be revealed through Jesus, his son, 
as he miraculously heals a man born blind. And that can be confronting, can't it? The fact that God chose for this man to be blind so that Jesus might heal him. But we need to remember that God is good. He does no evil. He has the right to govern the world and its people how he likes. And perhaps that's another big topic for our can I really ask that question down the track. And so Jesus, he explains the situation and then he does exactly what he says he will do. This strange but incredible miracle. Look at verse 6. After he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, and spread the mud on his eyes. When I was a kid, I loved to to play in mud. Here is an embarrassing photo of me (laughs) when I was young. It was a regular thing for me, without permission from my parents, to go out into the backyard, to grab the hose, to turn it on, to wet a big patch of dirt, and then to play in it for hours. Maybe you think I was a weird kid, or maybe you think that's just what kids do. Now, I never pretended to be Jesus and wipe mud on someone's eyes and heal them, but I did cover myself and my little brother in mud, and so there he is looking a little bit unimpressed, covered in dirt. Sorry, buddy. Why do I bring that up? Well, because I was a little bit of a weird kid, and Jesus does something really weird here, right? Something strange. Why does Jesus choose to heal a man with mud made from his own saliva? Playing with mud might be fun, but that's just kind of gross, isn't it? Why, Jesus? Well, he doesn't say, does he? Neither does John. So maybe Jesus is making the point here that he can use even what is unclean, saliva and dirt of all things, to heal a man and make him whole. But we're just guessing. So Jesus does something strange, but then something incredible happens. Verse 7. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he left washed and came back seeing jesus sends this man to wash in the pool of siloam or sent which is just another little hint jesus is sent by god the father to do his works and what are those works it's to heal a man born blind he washes and he comes back seeing it's so simple But it's so incredible. Jesus is amazing, isn't he? This man can see perfectly, having never seen before, and he can understand everything that he sees. He's not confused. What Jesus does here is beyond imagination. We can't grasp how amazing it is. Praise him. But now in the rest of the passage, we get all the different responses of all the different people, to this incredible miracle. Some of it is a bit funny and comical, but it's also sad at the same time. So first of all, the people question the man and his miracle. Let's look at verse 8 together. His neighbours and those who formerly had seen him as a beggar said, Isn't this the man who sat begging? 
There's great discussion amongst the people of Jerusalem. Verse 9, some say, yes, that's him. But then others say, no, 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 it just looks like him. But he keeps saying, it's me. I'm the one, I'm the same guy. So verse 10, they say, how? How were your eyes opened? How can you see? The man says, it was that man named Jesus. And he recounts the miracle exactly as it happened. The people are shocked. They say, where is he? And then they take the matter up the authority chain. They take the matter up to the Pharisees. And now the tension in the story starts to build. Because in verse 13, the Pharisees bring the man in and then they question him. And it becomes clear why they are so concerned. Look at verse 14. This ominous word comes up again in John's Gospel. The day that Jesus made mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. The problem with what Jesus did was that he made and spread mud on the Sabbath. According to their strict Sabbath rules, even something as simple as putting two ingredients together, mixing them up and putting them on someone or something, that was considered work. And healing someone, well, that was even more so. So that's enough for the Pharisees to say, verse 16, this man is not from God, for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. It's so sad, isn't it? But even the Pharisees are divided. They say, how could he do this? This miracle if he was a sinful man. And so they ask what the man thinks, the blind man. Verse 17, he replies, he's a prophet. In other words, he must be someone significant if he can do this to me. But none of this is good enough for the Pharisees. And then the other Jewish leaders come into the picture and they're annoyed too. Verse 18, they don't even believe that the man used to be blind. So they track down his parents and interrogate them. And the humor just kind of keeps building. His parents, they're shaking in their sandals because they didn't have boots, they had sandals. And in verse 20 and 21, he said, they say, yes, he is our son. Yes, he was born blind, but please don't talk to us about it. Please just talk to him. He's of age, you can talk to him. They're afraid because, why? Verse 22, the Jewish leaders had threatened to ban you from the synagogue, the local Jewish gathering or church, if you said Jesus was the Messiah. They would excommunicate you, cut you off. But again, none of this is good enough for the Jewish leaders, is it? They still don't believe Jesus is good or that he even did the miracle. They call the formerly blind man back in again. And yet again, they question him. Or better said, they accuse him. Let's get into verse 24. They call him in and they say, give glory to God. This was a solemn charge. Tell the truth. God is watching. Clearly, they think he's still lying. They say, give glory to God. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. Even if he really did do this miracle, he did it on the Sabbath. He is a sinner. And you have to agree with us. And then we get a bit of a change in the man. 
he begins to get a bit bolder and says, verse 25, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I can see. So those words sound familiar to you. They should, because they come from the most famous hymn of all time. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. John 9 is where those words come from. Beautiful, isn't it? But the Jews are still discontent. So they ask again in verse 26, how did he open your eyes? The man's already told them this, so he's a bit frustrated with them. But they're trying to be good lawyers. They're trying to get him to contradict himself so they can write off his story. And the man, he begins to get a little cranky and cheeky. I love this. Look at verse 27. I already told you and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? How good is that? They just make the, and this just makes the Jews furious. Verse 28, they ridiculed him. You're that man's disciple. We're Moses' disciples. It's, it's funny, but it's so sad at the same time, isn't it? They say, we obey God's law. We follow Moses. Who's this Jesus guy? How do we know where he's from? Moses spoke from God. This guy, clearly he didn't. He works on the Sabbath. But then the man delivers this last knockout punch to the Jewish leaders. This amazing mic drop moment. Verse 30. This is an amazing thing. You don't know where he's from, yet he opened my eyes. He's like, really guys? Is that the best you can do? Throwing away evidence, trying to contradict my story, trying to worm your way out of acknowledging Jesus, just calling him a sinner so you don't have to do anything about him. Verse 32, the man says, if this man, Jesus, were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. The man's faith and boldness, they continue to grow, but now the Jews have finally had enough. They insult him. Verse 34, you were born entirely in sin. And you are trying to teach us. We're the leaders around here, not you. And then they threw him out. This man you talk of, Jesus, he's a sinner and so are you. Get out of here. It's awful, isn't it? You can see how ugly their pride and superiority is. They write him off, they throw him out of the meeting and perhaps even cast him out of the synagogue. And ban him for life. So this man, this man who lived in darkness and blindness, who was then miraculously healed, well, he finds himself in a place of darkness again, doesn't he? Rejected by the Jewish leaders, cast out, lost. But he doesn't stay there. Let's look at the last part of the passage where we see the love and mercy of our Lord Jesus. Verse 35. When Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out, he found him. 
What do you notice about that sentence? First, I hope you realize Jesus' compassion for this man. Jesus went out of his way to find him. That's what our Lord is like. But also, I hope that you saw the word found and it reminded you of that hymn yet again. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like this blind man. He once was lost, cast out by the Jewish leaders, but now he's found, found by Jesus. What does Jesus say now that he's found the man? Verse 35, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, the man says. He knows nothing. Verse 37, Jesus answered, you have seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. It's beautiful, isn't it? Jesus has given this man physical sight, but he was still spiritually blind. So Jesus finds him, reveals himself to him. He says, I am the son of man. I am the one the Old Testament was pointing forward to. The one with all power and dominion and authority. You have seen him. It's me. Jesus reveals who he is to the man. He opens his spiritual eyes. And so the man responds, verse 38. I believe, Lord. And he worshipped him. Jesus opened his physical eyes and now Jesus opens his spiritual eyes. He cannot help but fall down in belief and worship. And then Jesus explains what this whole chapter is all about. This great story with its ups and downs, its humor and sadness. He explains his actions and the different responses of the people. Look at it carefully, verse 39. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, in order that those who do not see will see, and those who do not see will become blind. You see what he's saying? I might have misquoted that little bit at the end there. Those who do see will become blind. You see what he's saying? He's saying, I came into the world for judgment. You know, he doesn't mean judgment as in punishment. He means judgment as in setting things in their right place. When you walk into a messy room, you judge the room, don't you? You say, this belongs here and it's out of place, so I'm going to put it back where it goes. Well, now that's in its right place. I will leave it there. This is what Jesus means here. He's come to set things the way that they are supposed to be, to reveal things as they truly are. His coming means that the blind will see, and those will see become blind. He's being cryptic, but he's saying that two things happen when he comes into the world. One, Jesus opens the eyes of those who are spiritually blind. He reveals himself to them. They see who he is. They believe in him. They are given eternal life in him. That's the first thing that happens. The second thing that happens when Jesus comes into the world is that those who say they can see spiritually, 
Those who say they know God and say they walk in his ways, but don't recognize Jesus, the light of the world, they don't see him, they will, sh- they will be shown to be spiritually blind in darkness. What's the example of this? Well, it's the people in our passage, isn't it? The characters in the story, the blind man and the Jewish leaders. The blind man is physically blind and his physical sight is restored as a symbol. A symbol that he is spiritually blind, but that Jesus has opened his spiritual eyes. Restored him so he can see and believe. Yes, Jesus has compassion on this man, his awful situation, his physical illness, his blindness. But more importantly, Jesus has compassion on his spiritual blindness. The fact that he is unable to see God and believe in him until Jesus opens his eyes. The irony of the story is that the man who couldn't see now sees. But those who can see physically and those who claim to see spiritually, the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders, they are in fact spiritually blind. They don't recognize God's Messiah when he stands right in front of them. When he does the works of God, when he heals a man born blind, they say he must be a sinner. And they show themselves to be spiritually blind and blinder at the end than at the beginning. Jesus says they remain in sin. And so Jesus has this effect on people back then and still today. When he reveals himself, the spiritually blind are healed by him. The Spirit opens their eyes. They turn to him and believe and have life. But those who claim to see, those who think they know God, or those who say, there is no God, I've got life worked out, they are only further blinded by their own pride. They reject Jesus or they even revile against him. Jesus is coming to the world for judgment to separate, to divide people, to give miraculous sight to those who are spiritually blind and to those who think they see, well, they will be even more blinded. They will reject Jesus, the light of the world. Such a good story, isn't it? Such a powerful way for Jesus and John to show us who Jesus is, why he came. So how do we respond to this great little story? Well, the story speaks to all of us in one of two ways. First of all, to those who don't believe in Jesus. If that's you here, you don't believe in Jesus, you need to hear the warning of what Jesus says in this story. He says you are spiritually blind. That as long as you claim to see life clearly, And do not turn to Jesus and believe in him. You are blind to your great need. And you are heading for judgment day on the wrong side of Jesus. And so I urge you, heed Jesus' warning here. 
come to him and ask him to give you spiritual sight so that you can see him, believe in him, and receive eternal life. Don't be like the Jewish leaders who in their blindness could not see Jesus, in their pride rejected him, even reviled against him. That's my plea to you. But for the many of us who are here, who are believers in Jesus, isn't our response like the man in the story? To say, I believe in you, Jesus, and I worship you. I bow down and worship you with all of my life. To say like the man, one thing I know, this thing I treasure, I was blind, but now I can see. Shouldn't our response be to sing to our Lord Jesus, amazing grace? That's what he has shown us. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch, a blind person like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. I was blind, but now I see. Shouldn't our response be to say, thank you, Jesus, for opening my eyes that I might see you, believe in you, and receive eternal life in you. All glory, thanks, praise, and honor be to Jesus. Amen. Amen.